Listener Production. Best practice is about engaging people. Forget messaging for a moment. Forget emphasis of key points. You've actually got to get people's attention. And people are more tired and more distracted than ever before. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe. And this is Fast Track. The greatest fear at work is often about presenting. Presenting a view, presenting a deck, presenting on a panel, presenting and exposing ourselves to others. A great presentation often stays with the audience and is remembered with affection or interest. And a bad presentation leaves everyone slightly relieved it's over and wishing they'd be able to have that time back. Or if you're like me, feeling a bit embarrassed and empathetic for the presenter. So if there is so much angst and so much to lose when we do presentations, what do we need to do so we can be better, be memorable, be useful and successful? Should we just be ourselves or should we be uber prepared? Should we be relaxed or funny? Tony Bulmer is my next guest, and he has specialised in business presentations for over 30 years and quietly changed the lives of hundreds and hundreds of people by allowing them to bring their best to presentations. I've asked Tony to help me understand what's different now in the virtual world of presentations and what do we need to do and who do we need to be. Tony, thank you so much for coming on Fast Track today. Pleasure to be here, Margie. Thank you for the invitation. So what formed your interest in this topic? Why did you end up teaching people to present? Well, Margie, I'd love to tell you it was all uh, preordained and planned and what have you, but it it wasn't quite like that. Uh, I spent eight years in advertising directly after school. And I think that said I had an interest in communication right from the start. But I, I, that wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I, I literally fell into the role of presentation skills coach. I was the first employee of an American company uh, here in Australia, I should say. Um, I learned two things. One, that I loved helping people and, and there was a great need for it. And, and it, the need was as much around confidence as it was skill. So that was very attractive to me. And I also learned that the way it was being taught to many people by many providers was, I thought, just the wrong way because it was all very cookie cutter. You know, you must do this, you must do that. And uh, we all come in all different shapes and sizes. And so Mm -hmm. that's where my real passion about authenticity and being natural was was sparked. So I fell into it, Margie. But my privilege is I don't go to work. I just go and help people every day and meet really interesting people. Yeah. And I imagine such a spectrum because we all need to put ourselves there in front of others in the workplace. Look, absolutely. And, and this is the thing. It's the, it's the one skill that is, you know, you almost can't avoid it in today's world. And, and perhaps I should define for you what I think a presentation is, because people say, oh, I don't really present a lot. And then you ask them, what's their day look like? And of course, they're in meetings the whole time. So for us, a presentation is one-on-one over a tea or a coffee through to standing up in front of the masses and everything in between. And so in business these days, everyone is presenting. And, and even at a young level, a grad level, employers, are saying, you know, I want people that will open their mouth in a meeting, that they will contribute. And so it's a, it's a vital, vital skill. So we've been in this period of time where maybe three or four years ago, I couldn't get anyone to turn on their video. They just wanted to be on a phone, not even FaceTime really in coaching sessions. It all had to be face-to-face or Teams. 
not really on utilising technology as we have in the last two years. But I find there's a lot of modern issues with this Zoom casualisation or the presentation style. And I'm curious about how you've experienced this last couple of years and whether you're jumping for joy as everyone learns to present every day or whether there's some other issues you want to explore with us. Look, it's interesting. I mean, I was one of those people. Uh, I mean, if you'd said to me three years ago, Tony, you know, you and your team should be coaching people on screen, I would have laughed at you. And then I would have told you a whole lot of reasons why it wasn't possible. Now, jump forward, uh, last calendar year, 45% of our revenue came from offshore by way of coaching on screen. And and we've got very happy clients as a result. So it's just learning to embrace it. I I think there's a lot of negative talk around virtual. And and if you put aside the whole remote working and whether that's good, bad, and I I think think most people realise we're going to end up in a hybrid world going forward on that front, I suspect, for most industries. But virtual itself, is it perfect? Of course not. I mean, I love being in a room with people the dynamics of being close in, in a room and reading people easily is, is terrific. But virtual's fabulous. I mean, it's so much better than a phone call. Um, and I think a lot of people keep saying, oh, but it's not as good, it's not as good. Mm. If you keep saying that, it won't be a good experience for you. You've got to take a positive view. I mean, here, you and I are sitting here, uh, you know, we can see each other, uh, our listeners can't, but this is fantastic. And I meet people all the time, as I'm sure you do, for the first time on screen and, and we have great rapport. So it's, a, it's in part, there's a skill issue to this, it's in part a mindset issue as well. One of the things that I'm finding is people say, I don't want to be on screen all day. Are you finding, you said a mindset and a skill issue. So which one do you think we're facing as the biggest issue around being online and presenting? I mean, there's a multitude of issues here. For many people, they are now spending even more time in meetings than maybe they were once before. I mean, in the office, we got perhaps a bit of a break, a half-hour break or an hour break between some meetings. We'd go for a walk, grab a coffee, whatever, whereas now so many of our meetings are back-to-back. That, I think, is problematic, Okay, So that's a challenge because there's no question that screen presenting is, if you do it well, is tiring. I mean, you've got to contribute some energy to the process. I almost think you have to amplify a little bit more than you might have in a room. So, for example, if I've got a meeting or a coaching session uh, late in the day or in the evening and I'm tired, I will often stand up in my office. uh, And that might sound a bit weird given I'm tired, but I I do so because it forces me to have a bit more physicality and energy to to the discussion. Now, at the end of the day, when I do switch off and, and call it quits, yeah, I'm tired, but that's what it takes. Yeah. One of my clients last week said their communication verbally had to be really ramped up. They had to be very mindful of the words they used, how they describe things more than they would in a room where they were often uh, gesticulating or smiling or people could read their body language. They said now they feel like their words have actually really become much more critical in a presentation. Now, I'm curious, do you think this is a a change from as it was face-to-face? Margie, I think that might be overthinking it a little bit. I mean, I, I actually don't believe the skills that are relevant on screen are wildly different to the skills relevant in room. The challenge is to bring ourselves 
and our personality to the table. And I, we, we've been saying that for 30 years in terms of in-room presenting. I meet a lot of really interesting people, and I say this very seriously. I meet a lot of highly clever people. Uh, I meet a lot of nerdy people, you know, really off the Richter scale in terms of intellect, but they're really interesting people. When they go into presentation mode, they often leave that personality outside the boardroom door. Now, the same thing's happening on screen. And what people don't always realise is it's people that engage. It's not content that engages. So, of course, we've got to know our message. Yes, we, we do a lot of work with coaching people to make sure they're clear on their message, clear on the structure of the conversation they want to have. As we say, we don't try and change people. We try and unlock people to bring their quirky personality, bring their sense of humour, bring an analogy. I mean, you might be trying to explain something rather complicated, but to use a, a simple analogy, I mean, this is top of mind for me. Uh, I've just bought a, a stand-up paddleboard. Uh, and I'm absolutely useless at it. But to put that into the conversation and say, look, the relevance of paddleboarding that I'm learning, it's all about core. What I think that means in terms of our business at the moment, it, we've got to stick to our core in these challenging times. I'm making up the example, Maggie, yeah. but it's sprinkling of humanness into the discussion. And that's so much more powerful than being word perfect. What I love about that is this idea of not overthinking it but making sure that your message is clear and you're being yourself so you lose that self-consciousness. Absolutely. So let's talk about best practice in 2022 and beyond. Are the principles still the same as they've always been? Margie, I'm, I'm going to sound terribly dull and boring here, but we've been pushing the same ideas uh, for years. I mean, I think we were very different when we first uh, came to market because we brought a, a, a be natural approach. For years, I've been challenging the definition of, of professionalism, which is a strange thing to say because we all want to be professional. But unfortunately, and this is a, you know, a, a deep conversation, the word professional, I think, derails people because even subconsciously, and I've been guilty of this myself in my earlier career, we think of it as being very serious, perhaps being a bit intense and often not very engaging. So best practice is about engaging people. Forget messaging for a moment, forget emphasis of key points. You've actually got to get people's attention and people are more tired and more distracted than ever before. Content alone doesn't engage, slides don't engage. I mean, Maggie, I can't tell you how many presentations I still sit through with major organisations where on screen the very first thing that comes up is a slide. The screen sharing is in play right from the start and the slide says presentation two by re and the date. That's not going to engage anyone. Best practice is about getting the message clear but bringing you to the table, bringing your personality, mm -hmm. having screen presence. I mean, we talk about having presence uh, and an immediate presence, so establishing your presence on screen and uh, bringing slides in further down the track, if necessary at all. If I'm hearing you correctly, the principles are the same. You know, be yourself, don't overemphasise the PowerPoint deck, engage people from the beginning so they know what they're about to hear from you. Absolutely. I think the world of virtual has actually been terrific for us because it's actually, for many people, made them stop and think what does constitute best practice. And it's actually made us realise that we all had probably gotten a bit lazy 
within room presenting by way of overusing slides. And now we've had to stop and think about it a bit more and go, okay, is this really going to be the right approach? Yeah. It's a good thing. I think virtual is good for people because it's making them work a little bit harder as communicators. And I don't say that in a negative way. I say that in a very positive way. But you're right. The skills haven't changed. And you said engage people from the beginning. How do you do that online or even in a room? What is it? The storytelling? How do you be engaging? What are your top tips? Well, Margie, that, that is a big question. I mean, we have a two and a half hour video on, on our content that people see before they even come to a coaching session. And the module on engagement is the longest module, ironically. Um, so there's quite a bit to it. But I think in part, it's about being interested. If you're a presenter, so I talk a lot about being audience centric because people say to me, oh, I'm nervous, um, you know, I'm introvert. If we can get our focus onto the other people that are in front of us, that's a game changer. And in the world we're in, I mean, we're seeing inside people's homes, which is pretty weird these days, but it's interesting. And so, you know, there's a couple of stories I I told recently. I met a senior finance executive last year for the first time. Uh, I was working with the organisation. I was about to do a coaching session with him and he came on screen and he was sitting in his home office, which was his garage, and behind him were these huge weights, uh, as in, you know, gym weights. And he said to me, Tony, good morning. It's lovely to meet you. And I said, Andrew, I can't talk to you. And he said, what do you mean? And and it was completely in the moment, Maggie. And I said, I'm completely intimidated by the weights behind you. If you can lift those, I don't want to give you feedback. I'm, I'm scared of you. And we had a good old conversation for a few minutes about that. I was coaching a woman in Singapore last year. She was a bit nervous uh, being on screen with me and and going through presentation skills coaching. And she actually moved from where she was sitting at her desk. Her husband was close by. Either he was making too much noise or she was. So she moved and she was a bit embarrassed about that. And, And as she sat down and she relocated, behind her were these two extraordinary large timber double doors that were the entrance to their home. And I said to her, I said, hang on a second, forget presentation skills, tell me about these doors. And we suddenly had this conversation. So this is not a silver bullet answer, Maggie, but part of engagement is being interested in the people that you're talking with and and meeting with. That's one part of it. The other part of it is to give a bit of you away. I mean, I always say, try and give a bit of, of you to your audience that maybe they weren't otherwise expecting, albeit in the context of the discussion you're having. But be real, give, and you'll get so much more back. Mm, I love that. So it's not rocket science. No, but it needs to be principles which underpin because we can go off track so easily and we can let fear take over. I know in my work that is often the question people ask me and I'm not a presentation skills coach, but I certainly say something which is it's not about you, it's about them, which is trying to get people to focus on the audience and what might be useful for them rather than overthinking what they're wearing, how they're standing up, who's staring at me, uh, what do they think? Because I think that just makes people really stuck. Totally. So why is it so important to our career to be good and mindful and always learning about this skill of presenting? Well, Margie, you can have all the knowledge in the world. You can know solutions to problems. You can know problems that are happening in your business. But if you can't engage people, if you can't share that information and influence people to, one, accept that there's a challenge and, more importantly, accept that there's a solution or a different way of doing things, then I'm not going to say people won't have successful careers, but they'll, they'll be limited with their careers. I mean, a very simple analogy we've, we've used for years in the medical world, we've talked about bedside manner. 
Well, in a sense, bedside manner is simply communication skills. And, and we often choose, if we are referred to two or three surgeons for a particular need, we often choose the one with the best bedside manner because we know all three of them can do the job technically. Mm. So it's a skill that distinguishes. It's an absolute differentiator. And I would argue it's become more important in the eyes of employers and businesses mm. in today's world. Mm. So that's so, from the beginning, whether you're a graduate or even, you know, going through university, the ability to present is this ongoing learning skill, isn't it? Something you should fine-tune or have a tune-up round every year. That's a really interesting point, Margie. I mean, I've I've got clients at at a C level, and this is not about me, but I've got clients that over 20 years have... have, uh, done workshops with me or one-on-one coaching, you know, multiple times through their career because just every now and then they will say, Tony, I literally want to come in for a health check. It might be that they're going into a new role or a new position or a new organisation and that's a perfect time for them to reassess uh, where they're at as communicators. Uh, I'm about to do a job with a very senior uh, banking team here at the moment who are all seasoned presenters but with what's on their plate, they need to just reassess. Mm. So... I'm going to ask you about the worst problems you've seen apart from fear, the challenges people face. I've seen some terrible things. So one comes to mind where everyone was in the room and I was presenting over video to this very senior team and they they just forgot I was there and I was sort of having to shout out to them, excuse me, (laughs) as the guest presenter because they were all starting off with side conversations and they all looked like, tiny little ants to me in this huge room. Their behaviour was just not good for a person who was presenting to them. But I've seen some terrible things happen. What are the worst problems people are going to face into? That is a big question. I often say that I think the worst is never as bad as people, as presenters often make out in their own mind. But that's not to say that bad days don't happen. I mean, I I ran a workshop years ago. It was one of my very early workshops when I was still employed by uh, the American company. And uh, it, it possibly could have stopped me from going forward as a coach because I had in front of me a group of people who were they're actually quite unpleasant to me. But we finally got to the bottom of what was the problem. The problem wasn't about me. Uh, it, the problem was about their boss who'd booked the workshop but had p- decided not to participate. And so they took that out on me. Now, whether that was wrong, right or indifferent, that, that's a separate issue. But, but what it taught me was to understand my audience and to, to stop and check in. So most of our clients are, are wonderfully motivated, but occasionally we'll meet people where I think... I really want this success for them more than they do. And I'll stop and say, you know, look, do you really want to do this? Is this really important to you? And and the answers will vary. But rather than me continuing on, it's a matter of checking in. And in fact, what you often find is they really do want to, but something else is bugging them. What I've learned is, I mean, Maggie, I'm very opposed to the teaching of body language. I think body language is completely over-intellectualised. People sit with their arms crossed because they're cold That's just or they're comfortable. Um, if you put me in a boardroom with, a, you know, great windows over any space, water, trees, whatever, I'll look out there. I'm a, I'm, I love space, but I'm also a better listener than I am watcher, so I, I might look at your slides briefly, but I'm actually looking at the window deeply thinking. So I raise the issue of body language because people judge too much the cosmetics. Presenters do. 
by all means, be aware of what's going on. But I think one of the best phrases you can learn to use as a presenter is to say, look, folks, your faces aren't saying much to me. Is everyone uh, comfortable with where I'm coming from? Are there any questions at this point? And you will find that you will often get back different information to what you thought was going to be the case. People often sit there looking disengaged purely because they're tired. I mean, there's nothing more to it than that. In their head, they're loving what you're saying, but their body is not showing that in any way, shape or form. If you don't ask, you don't know that. So don't overreact to an audience's not all sitting up on the edge of their chair staring at you. You you need to just keep going. You're setting yourself up for a big fall, Margie, if that's the, the desire you want from an audience because it's just not going to... I mean, I know when I'm in an audience, uh, because I talk so much for a living, when I'm in an audience, I'm actually, you'll be surprised by this, but I'm actually very quiet. I, I, I just want to sit there and, and absorb and, and I may well look out windows or, or whatever. So don't expect too much. But if you invite feedback, and you won't always get it, but if you welcome it, truly value it and, and acknowledge the worth of questions appropriately, not, not, not insincerely, uh, you'll get people talking to you. And even if they do have a bugbear, they'll share that. And, and by the way, that's a great day because at least they're being honest with you. I mean, that's what we want from an audience. We want them to say, look, Tony, I, I really don't quite agree with this issue. And it's like, okay, let's have that conversation. So if your goal is to have an engaged audience and a stimulated audience, then it doesn't really matter whether they agree with your content or not, it's really about your presentation being engaging and stimulating to them. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're trying to influence in, in most situations and so you, you're trying to bring people to a common thinking, but for that to happen, you will often have to have some discussion and some debate around the viability of what you're suggesting. So let's have that engagement. I always say to people, if the meeting goes half an hour over time, because you've had some pretty intense discussion and debate, that's a terrific meeting. That's engagement. If people have sat there and said nothing, you're probably not going to land that deal. I want to ask you about storytelling because I've had an interesting experience with that where storytelling by clients when they're presenting can be really illuminating. It can really engage the audience. But I've also spent a day as an MC for a very large group of people and every leader got up and used a different analogy and story from the Olympics to sports to car racing to their children to to sort of deliver a similar message. And it left the audience completely confused because the stories were multiple and overlaid and confusing. So what's the take from you on storytelling? Well, storytelling is probably the word along with uh, authenticity that's become the they're the two big buzzwords in the corporate world today. So it, it's been taken a bit perhaps to an extreme. But look, it's a great concept. It's a fantastic concept because examples, I mean, you can call it stories, examples, whatever, uh, case studies, they engage people. They draw a picture in people's mind, theatre of the mind, all that sort of thing. I do like leaders and people sharing. We encourage people to use analogies. I touched on this before, and we specifically encourage people to use personal analogies. A couple of things. Don't use too many in the one presentation. In fact, in many cases, you're better off. So I'm working with a, a, a team at the moment, a very senior team, where the CEO is English, and he's using Winnie the Pooh as an analogy, from his childhood days of, of reading Winnie the Pooh, he's referencing uh, Winnie the Pooh. And, and this is a very serious and senior audience that he's presenting to, but he's giving a little bit away of uh, himself that, that they won't be expecting. His team is presenting with him 
rather than them using other analogies, they're all picking up on, and only very briefly in each of their presentations, there's a slight reference back to some characteristics from that analogy. So I often say to people, use one analogy and, and, and milk it, use it as a theme, uh, rather than having you know multiple throughout. The other thing is don't be too long in telling the story. And the most important point is it has to be relevant. There's an old structure, Margie, a very old structure by Dale Carnegie, and and we share this with clients. Um, It's called IPB. Uh, I is the incident, the story itself. The P is the the point about that, you know, the point about paddleboarding or the point about, you know, Winnie the Pooh as a kid. The B is benefit or relevance to us. You know, you've got to be able to hear yourself saying, look, the relevance of that to us today. Because what a lot of audiences find is they sit there and go, okay, that's kind of interesting, Tony, talking about paddleboarding, but I really don't know why he was telling us that. And that's what causes the frustration. Fantastic. That's such a great explanation and something we can hold to understand when storytelling is useful. So how do we get joy from presenting? I know this is your specialty. I know this is what you've been doing with hundreds and hundreds of people over the years to help them feel joy from presenting. What are your top tips about how to get joy from presenting? Well, uh, that that is a great question, Margie. Not everyone is going to get joy from it. I mean, some people will probably never really enjoy it, which is sad because if it is going to be part of your world, then I think why be stressed by it? Um, Get clear on messaging. Get really clear on messaging and get clear on as part of your messaging, what's your value add? You know, what, why is this relevant to your audience? Uh, if you can't answer that, then you shouldn't walk into the room in the first place. We talk a lot about rehearsal. We think people spend way too much time writing and rewriting when they should just be getting into an empty room. They'll feel like a goose, but, but just talk it out. That's the real muscle memory. And then, uh, in fact, I've just written an article on uh, you don't have the right to judge your own presentation. And I really mean that because uh, I find a lot of people's perfectionism gets in the way and they're very self-critical. And I'm quite happy to criticise or critique a presentation of mine after. But during, all I'm interested in is, is how the audience is responding. And I've learnt to embrace positive feedback. I mean, I've made presentations in recent times where I thought I could have done that better, but the audience has loved it. And I'm very inclined now to embrace that and say, Tony, well, that was pretty good. Actually, in the time I had, I was feeling a bit poorly anyway, so I did do a pretty good job because the audience told me I did a good job. And that's not being blasé, but it's enjoying that. The last, the last point around this is there's actually a lens that's required. I coach a lot of people, Margie, who work in roles where data is is a big factor. They'll describe their content as very technical and they'll say, Tony, my content's very dry. I always say to people, it's not, that's not the issue. The, the issue is whether the presenter is dry. And I think as, as strange as this may sound, we've got to look at our presentations through our own lens of how can I have some fun giving this presentation? How can I enjoy, it doesn't matter what I'm presenting to the board or a client, how can I actually enjoy having this conversation? Because if you're not enjoying giving it, then there's no way in the world they're going to enjoy listening to you. It's just not possible. If you're enjoying giving it, it's not an absolute, but there's a pretty reasonable chance they'll actually be enjoying at least listening to you. Again, doesn't mean they'll agree with everything you say, but they'll enjoy the process of engaging with you. So you've got to take that mindset of going, okay, I'm going to do this, so how can I enjoy it? I'm taking a lot away from this interview where the idea of focusing 
on ourselves, being joyful and playful, finding the audience the most intriguing thing rather than ourselves. And this idea of the utilisation and learning the deep skills of presenting, but continuing to tune up through our whole career to be better. Have you got any last tips for us? I've taken so much out of this interview, but are there any last things you want to leave people with, Tony, as a last comment? Maggie, I've said it, but spend less time writing, get clear on the message, uh, get clear on the content that you need to address and rehearse. Get into a room, talk it out. Don't try and learn it verbatim, but just get the muscle memory so that then on the day you can focus on your audience and your muscles will know what to do. Tony Bulmer, thank you so much for your time on Fast Track today. I've really enjoyed it and I've learnt a lot, so thank you. Margie, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley. Producer, Tina Matalov. Audio production by Nikki Sitch. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. Listener.